Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 126 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. Our hope is that you are remaining well and safe as summer prepares to give way to fall, at least for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. What about shout outs? Our shout outs are to Shelly, Albert, Igor, Mary, and Barbara. All right. Welcome aboard, folks. Or you may have been aboard for a long time. We're just, yeah, it we, takes us a long time to get to, I mean. It takes me a little while to locate your name somewhere. And, yeah. and sometimes we list. never see you. Sometimes we never, especially Spotify. I don't think we have any way of knowing no, who Spotify listens to Spotify. No, Spotify will tell me that we have people listening, but they, they keep your name private. And that's and, great. That's great. Okay. And our quote this week is a transliteration of Jesus. If you know what that means, it's a literal translation. Mm. <laughs> Uh, if your child came to you hungry and asked for a fish to eat, would you hand him or her a snake? If they asked for a loaf of bread, would you substitute a stone? Being human, we desire and know and desire to do good for our children. Being divine, do you not think our Heavenly Father's desire to do good for us is many times greater than our own? I like that. For the past couple months, we've been revisiting some of our earliest episode topics. For the next few weeks, we feel inspired to move toward a new conversation. Staying with our pledge to not tiptoe around the difficult questions concerning God and the Bible, we'd like to address some of the most troubling doctrines and dogmas of the modern church. These discussions lead us to ask the question, does the modern church need to amend its stance on some of its centuries-old teachings, or is it time for a complete overhaul of the church's position on all points of doctrine? <laughs> so in this episode, we want to look at the doctrine of the church that tells us that we are born the enemies of God. By our understanding, the general consensus of the church is that because we are born the descendants of Adam, if we fail to take the proper steps to prevent it, we are automatically bound for an eternity of suffering and torment when we die. Do you guys think that's a fair synopsis of pretty much both the Catholic and the Protestant teachings? Yeah, yeah that's what is. that's what I was always told. Was because of Adam, you wouldn't have to do anything but just die, be born and die, and you're bound for an eternity yeah. of suffering and torment. Seems a little unfair. Well, before we discuss the problems and, and questions uh surrounding this doctrine let's discuss the image this places on the entity we call god 
What impression of God do we get from the idea that we were born by no choice of our own and before we were ever born, God has pronounced a severe sentence of punishment on us because of our distant relationship to Adam? Bummer. I mean, that just, that's would you awful. see Would you see that being as being just and fair? No. God kind of seems like a jerk well, who holds you, a really long grudge. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Yeah, that, that tells us to forgive Yeah. immediately. Don't let a sun go down on Mm-hmm. unforgiveness but also your I'll great care, great I'll, great grandpa I'll, did this I'm and carrying, you're gonna die for i'm it. carrying a six thousand year old grudge <laughs> for humanity i mean we're not making fun here we're just i mean serious out That's here just what? the way it's being presented this is the way it sounds to non-christian people mm-hmm. so most of us were told that we're bound for hell because of sin we're also taught that even if we were somehow able to go through this life and not commit any sin of our own We're still classified as sinners against God because of our distant grandfather's disobedience. Speaking purely from a human perspective, does the idea that we should hold the convicted murderers, great, great, great grandchildren accountable for their father, for their grandfather's actions make sense? Then we must add to the equation, would we pronounce the same death sentence on them that was pronounced on the original offender? No, absolutely not. It sounds a little ridiculous like that, doesn't it? It does. And, And it should. It should. Uh, Tracy? I'm sorry. I was reading a line there that I thought I'd misread. Okay. So, would any society, no matter how primitive, ever base their justice system on this principle? (laughs) Not a society I'd want to live in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how would we view a society of people who did base their justice system on this kind of a principle? I I don't think I'd want to visit. I mean... No. So, how can we explain a God who would use this same type of justice system? Who would ever desire a relationship with a being that utilized such severe justice? And and yeah, you know, it's 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 grudge holding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's super grudge holding. Oh no, holding. no, it's being accountable. We have to be accountable for being born. Well, right. I started to say, I see no which we justice. did not ask as far as as we far know, as we know, we consciously didn't. right now we didn't ask to be here. Yeah. I see no justice in making the innocent serve a sentence. That doesn't make sense. No. Well. Even sorry about hitting my microphone and all that clatter there. Uh, it, now it's me, but I don't even know where I You're am. Six. six. Okay. So let's move on to how the church has justified this teaching principle. <laughs> the church's take, now Catholic and Protestant alike, to my understanding, is that this was the state of humanity's relationship with God. In other words, we're enemies of God. We because of Adam, everybody's enemy until Jesus came, and then God took all of His four thousand year old pent up anger at humanity out on His only son pretty much i mean that's the idea that i've heard that said i probably said it myself well i'm just thinking god exhausted his anger on jesus his son i'm overwhelmed by the thought and when i was reading the podcast and i the same thing hit me this is this is what i grew up in being the the daughter of a southern baptist preacher this is this is the mindset i had i wonder if i had grown up with the mindset that I have now, the more open mm-hmm. and if I would have ever battled anxiety or fear probably not. or depression. Probably not because, you know, the let's be honest, the Christian religion is all about fear. It is. It's all about fear. And, From uh, the very beginning. Yeah, and, everything's and even, about fear. Even we're taught, you be afraid, have to, be very from afraid. a very young age, without realizing it, you put that on your kids even. You need to be saved because if something happens to you and you're not saved, then what are you going to yeah. where are you going to be? You're not going to be happen? with mom and daddy in heaven. Yeah. You're going to be in hell. 
Okay, but this unleashing of wrath and anger on his son did not universally release humanity of their sentence to hell for Adam's disobedience. It's only good for a select few who are in a position to hear of and believe on his son. Now, that's the church's doctrine. That's the church's stance. The rest of humanity is still held to the original sentence of an eternity of suffering just because they are distant kin to the offender, Adam. I mean, is this an unfair representation of the church's position on the matter? Unfortunately, it's really not. So if we examine the storyline behind this whole being accountable for the original sin, we might find that Adam's circumstances were more like a setup than a conscious choice of disobedience. And I'm talking about the way we have it presented to us in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So according to the church's take, God told Adam to enjoy the garden, eat any of the fruit trees he liked. However, Adam was instructed to never eat of the tree that was located in the center of the garden. I'm going to stop you right there. How did that tree get there? Well, it had to have been put there. Well, who had to put it there? Well, there's only one person who could have. God had to have put it there. Okay. And why? And, you know, it goes as far as saying that it was the most beautiful tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The most desirable tree. But anyway, we'll get back to that. So then another character gets introduced, and we know him only as the serpent. And he seems to be an adversary of God. And he tells Adam that eating the fruit won't result in death, but will open Adam's eyes so that he will become more like God. I'm going to say something about that statement that's going to probably I'll get some response to. You look a few verses over after he ate and the Godhead is speaking or the Elohim is speaking. The gods are speaking and they said, (laughs) what shall we do? Now the man has become like us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Did the devil lie? Did the serpent lie to him? No. Their eyes were opened and they became as the gods. What shall we do? They have become like us. Think about that statement. There before, because and take your religion out of it and take everything you've been taught about this conflict that's going on for all of these ages. Look, if God is the creator of everything, and I had a guy tell me that, well, I can show you in the Bible where it says God created good and evil alike. I said, well, He had to, mm-hmm. didn't yeah. He? Yeah. Didn't He have to? Or it wouldn't. It wouldn't be if if our opinion of Him as a creator God, that He's the author of everything, mm-hmm. then He had to author everything. Even that tree in the middle of the garden. Okay. Now, this is where we're told, I'm at nine, right? Yeah. Now, this is where we're told the crime gets committed that is so heinous that all the offspring of the offender will be held accountable for at least the next 4,000 years, and some of them for 6,000 years if they don't find the, if they don't feel around and find the cure. This is where we're told that Adam abused his ability to choose or his free will, as it is called by the church to make a conscious choice to defy God and therefore brought God's wrath down on all humanity for all eternity. Okay. This is going to kind of maybe veer us off subject for a second, but even at, I can remember at seven years old learning this story, you know, for the first time that I really remember hearing Uh it, what always troubled me is we're taught that God is omniscient. He knows everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he knew Adam was going to do this. So then at that point, I'm taught that we're just pawns in this bigger scheme. Yeah. We're not even important enough to God. We're just, we're just his we're pawns just a product to be Satan, of some, basically. Yeah, we're just a product of some uh, war, there spiritual warfare. There are two bags of marbles 
And everyone who God shoots outside the ring gets put in his bag. And if Satan <laughs> shoots them outside the ring, they can put in his bag. Well, and whoever has how, the most at the end of the day wins. At the, from the very beginning, that's how we're taught to feel. We're not uh-huh. even important enough. Yeah. Okay. Is it me? Mm-hmm. Number okay. two. Let's ask one question that the church does not address. If Adam had always been in bliss and paradise for his entire existence, how could he even comprehend what it meant to make a bad choice? To put it a way that we might better relate, if all you've ever known is a life of luxury and safety, how can you understand what someone was saying if they were talking about being destitute and afraid? You couldn't. I don't think you can. I watched, again, on television these commercials that say that, like, what, one in three Arkansas kids will suffer from hunger. Yeah. And I can't imagine, and we may not have had what I wanted to eat, but we always had plenty of food. I mean, we may not have had the junk food that I wanted to eat. And it's not saying that that's not true, that they don't. No, it's saying saying that that we can't. I can't imagine being hungry coming from the life that I came from. No more than Adam could understand. Was a bad choice. A bad choice? Mm -hmm. I mean, I. Was he making choices? Was he deciding which fruit trees he would eat for? He probably was. Mm-hmm. He's making choices. But every one of those choices are a good choice. Yeah. How many every times? Every one of those choices had no, none of those choices had any circumstances. Adam could not know what cir- what the circumstances even meant. How many times did you tell Blake not to put his hand on the wood stove because it was hot? Yeah. But until he really understood what hot meant, didn't it had anything. no bearing. He had to right. get a burned hand. Mm-hmm. Every child does. Isn't me? Yes, 11. So we're also told that Adam was warned that if he ate of the tree, that he would die. If you're an eternal being, as we're told that Adam was before his act of disobedience, how can a person whose only experience has been immortality understand what it means to be mortal? That's the same way with us. If we are immortal beings, and I do believe we are, that we came here probably from a conscious choice of our own in our spiritual, behind the spiritual veil, Mm -hmm. on the other side of the veil, and... We need this so we understand that we are immortal. When we get here and now we're experiencing mortality, we have mm-hmm. to have our consciousness blocked from being immortal right? so that we can experience mortality. Then when we get back to that state of immortality, we'll go, oh, wow. Now I understand what immortality now means. Now I get it. And that, Adam was the same way. Adam needed. In fact, you're talking about God being omniscient and did he, he should have known. He did know. In fact, he intended for him to. There's a phrase in there that he says, he doesn't say, don't he? He says, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, wait a minute. What was God saying? So what if he was saying, he said, I know you're going to eat it. And when you do, you're going to understand death. So what if this thing (laughs) that we have for so many thousands of years regarded as being a horrible thing was actually intended for our good? I think it was. I think it was. I think we're all right now eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just like Adam and Eve did. Except possibly we always think that Adam and Eve retained a consciousness of their former Right. existence of immortality oh, well, no. but we don't know that they did we have nothing oh. to know that they had when they ate of the tree that what they did is step through the veil it's very possible they stepped through the conscious veil of who they were they became humans i want to read a passage oh. to you guys okay. from this is actually from the gospel of mary magdala okay or mary magdalene and uh-huh. it's from chapter three it's the first three verses then peter said You've been explaining every topic to us, Lord, so explain one more thing. 
what is the sin of the world? And the Savior replied, there is no such thing as sin. You yourselves have produced the idea of sin by doing what was not natural. And for this reason, the good has come among you. Pursuing the good, which is in all of you, will help it take hold and root in your life. Yeah. And And take it for what you want, because it's from what they call an apocrypha or, you know, a lost book of the Bible. But I just thought that was an interesting. How did a bunch of those books get lost? Because they were thrown out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We're back to the Adam and Eve taking the tree and the fruit. Our illustration of this event is like this. If we take a toddler and we set him in a room with a coffee table in the center of the room, then we bring in five plates and place them on the coffee table within the toddler's reach. On four of the plates, there are carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, and spinach. On the fifth plate, there are chocolate chip cookies. We tell the toddler he may eat of any of the four plates containing vegetables, but he mustn't eat the cookies. If you eat the cookies, you will never be allowed to eat cookies for the (laughs) remainder of your life. I'm eating the cookies. That's what I was thinking. Okay. All right. First of all, we already know what the toddler will do if he's left alone with the cookies for long enough. And why is that? Because he has no consciousness of circumstances. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. You can give him the circumstances, but he has no way to consciously understand what a circumstance even is. Right. Second of all, Mm. you can't expect him to even understand (laughs) the consequences of his actions. The consequences are that he'll never be allowed to eat cookies again. How can that threat have any bearing if the child doesn't know what cookies taste like? How can he understand what it'll be like to never eat them again? Can you even understand what never means? I mean, honestly. That's true. true. Yeah. So when we explain this whole God is angry and full of wrath at humanity for a choice that our ancestors made, which, by the way, would not have happened if the plate of cookies hadn't been left on the table in the first place. (laughs) When we think of it in these terms... The whole concept seems bizarre and so much unlike the actions and the attitudes of a mighty, benevolent, super intelligent creator that what we should be inspired to, re- you know, I think we should be inspired to rethink these primitive and conflicting doctrines. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do here. Look at it. Step back out of your religious upbringing and step back because and if you can't do it any other way, step back and say, I want to see what this sounds like to a person that wasn't raised up in the Christian religion. Mm-hmm. What do these things, these things sound bizarre. Yeah, they but, do. All right. Uh, however, this doctrine has served the church very well in its efforts to use dread and fear to promote the organization. It's a little bit like saying everyone is doomed just because you exist. <laughs> But we have the solution, but you must meet our criteria and expectations before we will sanction you being right with God. And we know that talk like this is going to no doubt cause some to recoil and they're going to scream blasphemy and I don't think many of those people are probably listening. (laughs) No, they turned us off a long time ago. (laughs) But if we think about it rationally, God knows how to get our devotion. And he doesn't do it by saying, love me or I'll destroy you. That, doesn't seems... that almost sound like one of the old sci-fi where the yes. ancient where the yes. aliens come to the earth? You will serve me, or I will destroy mm-hmm. you. You know, but it still seems to be the message that the church promotes. Yeah. So until next time, may the unconditional grace, peace, and love of the Most High be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. 
visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.